Well, hey, all you wiretappers out there, back here in the studio of Gangland Wire, uh, going to knock one out before I go play golf. Check it out. It's nice and warm out there today, finally. I, I wanted to do something about Thomas Tommy Karate Patera. Uh, he's a bad dude. I, I started researching on him, and I actually I sent him a letter. I found out his inmate number in the prison, and I sent him a letter asking if he would do an interview. And I never heard back, of course. Uh, didn't surprise me. And then I, I also found out as I'm poking around trying to find out information about Tommy Karate, got such a cool nickname there that uh, I found on Instagram. It's there's a Tommy Karate page and he sells paintings and get them for $350 each ones that he does. And they have them, uh, they, they have, uh, uh, you know, what you can see them on Instagram, but they also have the Tommy Karate Patera artwork on, uh, uh, a website and it has, you know, all, all the rest of them or a lot of them and you can, you can buy one. So I thought, you know, I'll get hold of this guy. Uh, he's not running the website for the penitentiary. They can do a lot. They can make phone calls, but I'm pretty sure they can't get on the internet. Uh, too many scammers in, in the penitentiary to let them get on the internet. So I got hold of this guy that, that runs the, through Instagram, did the messaging and and I offered to buy one in exchange if he would do a phone interview with me. Just, I said, just a 15-minute phone interview. And then I was going to raffle it off as a fundraiser for the podcast. And so <laughs> maybe I'd get my money back or maybe not, you know, 350 bucks. That's, uh, that's a lot of money. But, you know, for a buck, I could certainly find 350 people. But I, I you know, I, he just responded back with a real curt, like he doesn't do interviews with anybody. So, okay. All right. I got you, dude. Um, now, so I started just doing the normal Wikipedia and, and uh, Costa Nostra news and, and Gangster Inc. news and places, you know, the websites like that to find out more about Tommy Karate. Uh, there is a book that, that a uh, guy named, I think it was Counts, the retired New York copper did 20 years ago or so that he clean, he says that's the best book out there about him. Uh, I didn't even try to look it up. It's a pretty old book. And I didn't really want to go way deep down deep in, into him unless I had some other reason to. And I just wanted to find out a little bit more about him. I did find out his father was from Sicily. Well, hey, guess, guess what? His father's from Sicily. Mother was of German heritage, so he's <clears throat> he's only half uh, Sicilian. Uh, as a child, he purportedly was bullied in the Gravesend neighborhood of uh, Brooklyn, and he had kind of a high voice and, and a small, and he wasn't very big. He wanted to play baseball really bad. And what I read was that he, they, the baseball, the baseball players bullied him so much that he didn't even try out for the team or he couldn't make the team, whatever. Uh, you know, Gravesend is uh, down there by Coney Island and it's right next to Bensonhurst and Sheepshead and Sheepshead Bay and, and Bath Avenue crews down in there. The uh, Anthony Spiro, uh, you know, Jimmy Caloranda, Caloranda, who has the podcast. Uh, so um, he come, Kay came from a real mob neighborhood. So, uh, you know, it's almost a cliche. Uh, it used to be a, a cartoon in the, in the uh, not a cartoon, but an ad in uh, comic books when I was a kid. Now, those of you who are about my age, you know, remember this. And there was a guy, 
kicking sand in somebody's face and you would send off for something that would keep bullies from kicking sand in your face. And then after that, then people said they got into karate in order to, because they were bullied. So that's what Tommy karate did. He, he got into karate as a kid and he, he was good at it. Uh, he won, he won one big tournament where he defeated seven different opponents. Uh, he loved the green Hornet and he got into the green Hornet and Bruce Lee, I believe Bruce Lee played, uh, Cato in, uh, in the movie and, and he even grew his hair out, tried to look like Bruce Lee. And he was really into it. And, and he won a scholarship. I mean, he wasn't just goofing around with this. He won a scholarship to go to Japan and studied uh, karate in Japan and, and was pretty successful over there. And he liked the, uh, he liked the lifestyle, maybe, or the the samurai path, I think maybe might be a better way to, to think about that. He stayed over there working in, a, of all things, a chopsticks factory, he had to get some kind of a job so he could stay over there. His parents weren't rich and couldn't just support him while he uh, took his gap year, and <laughs> gap two or three years in Japan. But he stayed over there for a while and, and learned more karate and, and got better at it and, and learned a lot more about Japanese culture and the samurai warrior way. And so he, he eventually comes back to Gravesend when he's in his early 20s and, and he's hanging around the different joints and, and he is recruited by a, a Bonanno Capo, uh, Sunny Red Indelicado. He does, you know, like he's a tough guy. He, he collects loan shark money for him and, and help with some cocaine problems and the transportation. You know, the Bonanno family, <laughs> Bonanno family was pretty well known to be involved in narcotics, both heroin uh, down out of, of uh, uh, Montreal and cocaine up from Columbia. And so they weren't opposed to, you know, on the kind of on the down low, like, uh, Gambinos were too to run to make money off of cocaine off of narcotics uh, you know during this time when he's probably later 20s young man 30s the Bonanno war is going on and it ends with the murder of the famous murder of the three capos uh, Sonny Red uh, Dominic Trinchera and, and Philip Giassoni uh, if you remember that was a deal where there, there was a problem going on and uh, a guy named uh, Leno, L-I-N, Dominic, I think, or Joe, Joe Leno and, and some others, uh, Joe Massino, uh, lured these three capos to a sit down. Well, they come without guns and, and unbeknownst to them, it was, and it was funny, it was in a, uh, a club owned by Sammy the Bull is what I read, which I guess he was doing them a favor, uh, you know, this kind of inner mob uh, uh, cooperation is always interesting to me. There's going to be another one that we're going to see that Tommy Karate is involved in. And yeah, they lured those three guys to a set down and they come as, you know, required without guns and they get inside this joint that's closed up. Tito Rizzuto uh, out of Montreal and, uh, and another Canadian mobster he brought down with him. And a couple other guys jump out and they, they see I'll stick them up and then just start shooting and kill the three, uh, three opposing capos. It was a big deal at the time. You know, Anthony Spiro was also part of the, the banana faction that set that up. Anthony Spiro, Spiro was a huge moneymaker. 
And he always was a huge money maker. He was the fireworks king of New York. He had several, uh, like he was, he was a commercial fireworks dealer. He had big warehouses and, and he had a car service, real successful car service at the time. And, and yeah, Anthony Sparrow had gotten to know, uh, Tommy karate pretty well. And, and he had taken him under his wing. And so now his kind of original, uh, uh, Sonny Red's gone, and and he puts him in with the, this capo Joe Leno, and and it was actually made under Joe Leno by Anthony Spiro uh, not too long after this. It, story is he did some kind of a murder and got made for it. And everything this guy's done is kind of a, a cliche. It seems like uh, he becomes close to another crew member named Frank Ganzi at the time, and this will be his downfall. Frank Ganji is longtime mob guy, about the same age, uh, but he's a bad alcoholic, and he was he was kind of given to fits of despair and remorse, which a lot of, of bad alcoholics are. Uh, you know, not too long ago, and one reason we know a little bit more about him is our friend Ed Scarpo from Costa Nostra News had gotten hold of him and, and was going to do a project with him, a, a writing project, maybe tell his life story or something. I'm not sure exactly what. Try to you know get a screenplay out of it because Scarpo is a pretty good write, uh, writer if you go and look at his uh, Costa Nostra channel he writes a lot of uh, he writes well he writes a lot of, of uh, mob stuff but Ganji died during this time and uh, and actually Jimmy Calandra uh, out of the Bat Beats YouTube channel reported uh, that that he heard from morality that he died and, and Scarpo uh, Scarpo uh, verified that so but to go back to why was he so bad for his buddy, Tommy Karate? Well, he got a DUI, as usual, in 1990s, full of remorse, in jail overnight, and he breaks down. He starts talking to some coppers about all the murders that he and Tommy Karate had done over the years. And they even killed a, a girlfriend of his, I believe. Uh, and, and, and they killed some woman. Oh, I remember now. The woman was, I can't remember her name, the woman was a... Uh, party girlfriend of Tommy Karate's wife who loved to do drugs and would get away from Tommy Karate and wanted to go out and party and do coca cocaine all night long. And, and he always said that she only did it because of this other woman and Gansey helped him kill that woman, cut up the body and, and disappear. He also was involved with him in the cocaine business where they were going out and ripping off, uh, uh, drug dealers, particularly uh, big time drug dealers, and, and then had a uh, you know way to distribute it. He was promised a deal. He'll just have to cop to cop to cocaine distribution, and he'll only get nine years if he testifies. And he was involved in a whole bunch of murders. I mean, he just like uh, uh, Sammy the Bull. Sammy the Bull, you know, admitted to what eighteen murders or something, and and did a little bit of time, but but nothing like what eighteen murders should get you, right? <laughs> Crazy, huh? Uh, he verified that he and Tommy Karate worked for Bonanno Consigliere Anthony Spiro, who was a boss of the Bath Beach crew. Uh, and, and, and he said that one time Tommy Karate and another guy, he wasn't involved in this one, named Vincent Kojak Giatino, Kill, he, they were the guys that killed Willie Boy Johnson just as a favor for a Gambino boss, John Gotti. If you remember uh, Willie Boy Johnson, I think he was he was part Native American. And 
and he was part of Gotti's crew and Hat was for a long time. And, and uh, the, uh, I think it was U.S. attorney, what was her name? Uh, uh, it was a female when uh, last name was Jack Aloni. Anyhow, she outed Willie Boy Johnson trying to uh, force him to testify. He'd been a deep throat, long-term, you know, top echelon informant for quite a while, given good information. And she wanted to convict Gotti so bad that she took the risk and she outed him. And he just, he stayed on the streets. He knew he'd been outed, but he stayed on the streets. And, uh, you know, Gambino uh, boss, uh, uh, Gotti wants to get rid of him, of course. Just, you know, he, he's the one that had the, the son, the, the guy that accidentally killed his son in a traffic accident disappeared. He was a, a, a vengeful dude, man. And so he got Tommy Crotty and this uh, Kojak to, to kill uh, Willie Boy Johnson. I always wondered who did that. He also told about a couple of Patera's men, Lloyd Modell and Frank Martini, who murdered a couple of Colombian drug dealers and took 16 kilograms of cocaine. Uh, they were going to take their car over to Staten Island and bury the bodies. And that's, that was Patera's deal. You know, he cut up the bodies and there was a uh, wildlife preserve out there that he would bury these bodies. But <laughs> kind of funny, the only car they had, for some reason, you know, a lot of people in New York don't have cars and, and maybe have never had a car, don't even know how to drive because you got all that public transportation and, you know, there's no reason to have a car so expensive. Uh, they had some kind of a car to take these bodies, but it only had a stick shift and they couldn't drive the stick shift. So they just left the car with the bodies in the trunk in a Brooklyn parking garage. And they also used one of Patera's guns to, to do this murder and then threw it in the harbor later on. They said, he said Patera was madder than hell about that, but that was, that was really part, you know, they were acting for uh, uh, Tommy Karate when they ripped off this drug dealer. So it's, it was just one more nail in Patera's coffin when they, when uh, Ganji went to court and started telling tales. Uh, he said Patera himself killed a guy named Talia Siksik, a Middle Eastern drug supplier in, in, in a Brooklyn apartment that he shot him four times in the back. And, and this is the one where he cuts the body up into six pieces and buried it at his secret dumping ground, which was the William T. Davis Wildlife Refuge on Staten Island. It was a whole mob graveyard out there. Uh, and, he, and he said that he claimed that uh, he testified that Patera always decapitated the bodies and buried the head somewhere else in order to stop any identification from dental records. I mean, he must have cut off the fingers and buried them someplace else, too. I got a feeling he did. Uh, at least uh, probably the hands would be easier. I don't know about the pump. I mean, uh, uh, your footprints that you get when you're a little kid. I never heard anybody use those. Anybody heard of that? I never heard of that. Uh, now, when the cops come around, they've got a whole bunch of murders on him that Ganges told them about uh, and other drug dealing and, and a lot of, you know, extortion and, and just about everything Patera had been into under Spiro. Uh, they served a search warrant on Patera at his home, and he had keep, kept little keepsakes from each one of his victims, which didn't help. One another reason he got convicted. Had a lot of guns in there. And they also, they found a pamphlet on how to dismember and hide a body. Uh, I tell you what, he, he's a, he was uh, the, uh, 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 what's the guy, the, uh, <laughs> I know his name as well as I know him, not, not, not Gas Pipe Castle, uh, Roy DeMeo was kind of the Roy DeMeo of the uh, uh, Bonanno family. 
in the end, uh, finish this off in the end, Patera, we found not guilty in the Willie Joy Boy Johnson murder, but guilty of several other murders because those other murders Ganji had done with him. He was, you know, first person source on that. And they'd gone out and found some of the body parts and, and different things. You know, they found other cooperating evidence. Now, uh, final thing here is, is uh, Tommy Karate was a tough guy at the end and he was making fun of, uh, Frank Ganji for crying and whimpering to the judge when he got the nine years. He's, you know, he's quoted and said, you know, hey, you know, you do the time, you got to do the crime, you got to do the time. He said, I do my time and, and don't say a word. Uh, so he, he was he was a tough guy to the end. Kind of interesting guy, a little old guy's got a cool nickname, but then doesn't seem like there's much, a lot of other information out there about him and why uh, he really, in some ways, he was called uh, the serial killer of the Bonanno family. It's a little, like I said, a little bit like Roy DeMeo. He's the kind of guy that they just would mention, they're trying to collect some money and say, you don't want Tommy Karate coming after you, do you? You better go ahead and pay me. You know, that, that kind of thing is uh, those subtle kind of threats that on the surface, you know, you just say, you know, I, I hate to have to go back and tell Tommy Karate he didn't pay this, or, you know, just mention Tommy Karate. And, and you know, they got such a reputation. That's what the mob really depends on. Uh, they make the innuendo that is not a direct threat. And, but yet it is a threat. So it's, uh, uh, they don't always get away with it in the end, but many, many people have gotten away with never saying anything directly, just like by letting the underlings assume this is what they want. And then they go out and do it. Thanks a lot, folks. Uh, we will get this up as another little extra for my uh, YouTube channel and a bonus in the podcast. <laughs>